Hello everyone and welcome back to Review Anything. My name is Glenn. And I'm Joe. And today we are actually not even in the same room. We are like 30 minutes apart, something like that, at our own yeah. houses. Because, As it should be. Yeah. <laughs> not just because we don't want to be together, but uh, because of uh, the coronavirus and all that. But we, you know what, we just had to keep making content for our fans we we were not gonna let this stop us <laughs> um <laughs> we owe it to you guys yeah we just need to keep pounding out that content really yeah. and so <laughs> now actually we just had the idea to do a top 10 of uh the decade of the 2010s i know we're already three months into almost four months into 2020 already but no time like the present to um, just kind of look back at that decade and our favorite movies that came from the 2010s. So we just thought it'd be a fun way to remember some of our favorite films from then. So we each have ten films between 2010, yeah, 2010 and 2019 mm-hmm. that we've chosen, and th- there's a surprising amount of overlap between our two lists. Fifty fifty. Uh, surprise, surprise. Yeah. Um, so Glenn went through and just kind of grouped them together uh, based on the ones that we share. And so we're going to go through. It's not going to be perfectly, you know, ten, 1 through 10 of our list. Um, but we're, we're going to go through and talk about our rankings and why we ranked them that way. All right. So I'm going to start with my number 10, which is Inside Lewin Davis by the Coen Brothers. And honestly, if you had asked me, because I watched this movie for the first time in 2017, and I think if you had asked me that year if this would have any shot of being in my top 10 of the decade, I would have said no. But I've watched it four times now (laughs) in total since then. Um, And something about it just sticks with me more and more every time um, about his character and well, the Coen brothers are always really good at, I think, crafting really unique films in tone and also like structure yeah. and the way that they all, all the events play out. And with this one, I'm also a sucker for musicals and it's not really, it's, if you can, if you consider it a musical, it's a very grounded musical because he is a musician, but yeah. there are four or five times where it is just him singing a song or a group of people singing a song and all the music in the film I love um kind of it stuck with me more and more um so I felt like it was appropriate to put it even if it is on the lower end of you know my favorite films of the decade I still felt like it was appropriate to put it on there two musical scenes that really stick in my head is when he goes to play for uh Bud Grossman what I really love about it is in that moment, I, I still remember the first time I watched it. In that moment, I was so convinced. And I think you are as a viewer, so convinced of Lewin's talent. It's such a beautiful song that he sings, and the whole last verse is a cappella, and it's just echoing through this empty um, concert kind of hall. And then when it's over, it just holds, and you have this feeling like that was it. Because like, everything up to that point has just not worked out for him. Right. It's just been piling up and piling up and he's been trapped in the car with uh John Goodman's character who's 
just insane. And then the, the thing that Bud Grossman says after some silence is just, I don't see a lot of money here, which is just like <laughs> so, deg- uh, so like degrading. Yeah, that's rough. So, but that moment always sticks out to me. Um, and then also when he plays for his dad and it looks like he's having a very, the father's having a very emotional response to the song he's singing, but it turns out he was just uh, pooping his pants, <laughs> <laughs> which sounds fake, but <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. Those, those moments just seem so real and it's just like so painful and I, I don't know. I, I love it. So that's why it's my number 10. Well, my number 10 is also Glenn's number six, and that is Phantom Thread. There Will Be Blood is my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. And I I really love his directing. Punch Truck Love is also yep. awesome. And yeah, Phantom Thread, it just felt like his one movie from this decade had to go on here. Like it just had to had to make it on this list. Mm-hmm. Cause it, and it's so good. Yeah. I want to watch it again. I've only seen it the one time in theaters and but it's just it's just such a haunting movie um the music yeah the the, the music is probably my favorite part i mean maybe not my favorite part but it's it makes the movie i mean it really brings it together uh i mean obviously all the performances are really good and the story is interesting but well the other thing i was gonna say is um the cinematography also just i love I, i mean and it's it blows me away that paul thomas anderson shot it too yeah i mean it it kind of shows what a command he has over visuals the fact that he was able to make phantom thread though and it 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 does feel in ways different than his other movies a lot of his other movies are much more dynamic and like intense but i mean the fact that he was able to just shoot it himself shows that yeah he probably doesn't need a cinematographer (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean i'm sure it just helps him focus more to not have to also think about that as much but yeah i mean clearly he clearly he's an auteur who the people who he works with i'm sure do add stuff but he has a vision clearly yeah definitely and i mean that that movie i feel like the visuals are a big part of the like an integral part of the movie like the way it looks and the way it feels is part of the story like the the story that he's telling just the atmosphere and stuff so it's my number six, so it's higher up on my list. But, uh, you know, the other films that he's made this decade were The Master and Inherent Vice, which The Master, I think I have a top 25 list on Letterboxd, and that's my number 12, I think, or 11. It's, like, really close to being in the top 10, but Inherent Vice isn't on there. I, li- I liked it a lot, but this one, I think, has just stuck with me a lot more. And I I remember the first time watching it, it just, it almost was it was hard it was a movie that was really hard to grasp and it didn't really give you much to like hang on to and so but thinking about it since then and then I have rewatched it one time since seeing it in theaters and it it was even better just knowing where it was going to end up it was even better watching that journey progress so all right so the next one is my number nine and Joe's number five so we actually kind of swapped the, this is higher up on Joe's list and a little lower on mine, but that's not saying much because it's still amazing, but it is a ghost story directed by David Lowry. Actually, it's in my top 10 of all time, I think. That's what's hard about lists like this is depending on the day or how more how recently you rewatch something, 
Like this could this could easily be bumped up a few spots, but this is another movie that was probably one of the most unique theater experiences I've ever had. Just being locked into the pace and the the nature of the movie, which is very quiet and very slow and it's it's a movie that's like I've watched it a few times since then and it is it's still amazing every single time, but I I always remember that first like theater experience. Um, especially Joe and I saw it together. The themes that it explores and the way that it explores them in a very unique way that could teeter into pretension, which to some people it did, but to me it always felt very, like, very honest and very... I don't know. It's it's. I would call it, like, a transcendent film in a lot of ways to me. Like, I think of it in a very different way than I do most films. And it's, again, it's one that, like, images have stuck with me for a really long time and the music I mean I know we just talked about the music a bunch for Phantom Star but the music and the ghost story is a very high light as well um the way it builds in a lot of scenes and is just just beautiful yeah it just it is one of the movies that from the past few years stuck with me more than most and and like like you said it's just kind of like a transcendent film it's it this is all the stuff that if somebody didn't like it all of this stuff would just make them mad but like (laughs) it does (laughs) it does feel just like elevated more it's like higher art than like just just a movie like it's it has a lot to say and it does it in a really artistic way but it's also like really simple and i like that like it's it's kind of just a it's like a unique look at like ghosts the other side of that, like, you know, it has little clever things like when he's throwing the plates and stuff. It's very similar to like a, a haunting scene in a movie, but you see it from the ghost perspective and you understand what's going through his mind. It's a very emotionally and charged. Very. It puts a whole other spin on it that you've never, that I've never experienced. I mean, there may be other, I don't watch horror movies, but there might be ones that explore that idea, but but I, I had never seen it done, and I thought it was really interesting. It is, and it is haunting in a lot yeah, of ways. It but, is, but much more again emotionally than yes, sensory maybe. Definitely not scary. There's some weird, the part with the guy in the in the party that's mm-hmm. just like talking and talking and talking. Yeah, that like is just an, I don't know. It's just an it, interesting scene. It but. is it, that scene always gets close to me, of like of over explaining right the point of the film it gets close but it still for some reason works for me i don't know i yeah it's interesting but yeah i think i mean i i really like it i think it's very emotional very very meaningful mm-hmm. um yeah so it's pretty high on my list i guess so so then number eight on my list no number nine no number nine oh, i messed it up already <sighs> start over all right Hey, everybody. Uh, (laughs) Number nine on my list is Parasite. And it is a parasite on my list that I can't get rid of. I tried to delete it, um, but it's gone. You don't want it in your top ten? No, I don't want that in my top ten. It just somehow got in there, and I can't get it out. (laughs) I think Letterboxd has a virus. Yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, Parasite. I, I just felt like as much as I... As strongly as I felt about it this past year, and it was like a really fun theater experience. Like I, I just, I just felt like it was one of the most entertaining movies 
I've watched in like a long time besides like maybe a Star Wars movie or something but like I just I, I haven't watched a movie that was that engaging just a lot of twists and turns and and it had emotion it had heart yeah it's it's just really good and all the way up until the last frame of the movie like I was I didn't know what the next thing was going to be like I didn't know where it was going until like even right up until the last the last shot I still it was still surprising so Number eight. My Glenn. number eight is Yorgos Lanthimos's The Lobster. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, is probably one of the movies like Inside Lewin Davis that the first time I watched it, I did really like it. But I've seen it three times now. And I don't know why, just like every year I'm drawn back to it. One, I, lo- I love the pacing of it. I know a lot of people have a hard time when it switches from him being in the hotel to him being out in the woods but i find both of those sections equally interesting and funny it's one of the funniest movies i think i've ever seen (laughs) it just makes me laugh every single time and it's in a way it's it's like commentary on relationships is also very funny i just got married and the movie deals a lot with how how much value society puts on marriage to the point that it almost excludes people who aren't in a relationship or can't find love. It's basically a you know post-apocalyptic world where if you aren't married within a certain amount of time, you're sent to a hotel, and if you can't find the person to spend the rest of your life with, you're turned into an animal. So it deals with that theme of you know how much our society is built on relationships, and you know obviously it's extreme, but where that could probably illogically end up. Um, if we continued down that path of, you know, not valuing single people's roles in our life. And the scene that I feel like encapsulates the theme of the movie is when they're at the hotel, they're all forced to sit and watch a play that's put on. It's one guy who who's announcing and he just says, man alone. And it shows a man sitting at a fake table and he's eating lunch and then he starts choking and then he just dies. And then- <laughs> And then he says, man with woman. And then he starts choking and the woman comes over and gives him the Heimlich and everyone just like claps. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie. And the ending is, I remember the first time I watched it, the ending didn't really hit me all that much. But I think on subsequent viewings, the ending leaves a lot in terms of the theme of how far will you go for love um, and how much does having things in common matter when it comes to who you spend the rest of your life with or who you decide to to love. So it's a movie that just has stuck with me and has grown and grown each time I've watched it. So my number eight and my number two is Glenn's number two This is <laughs> of my list. Silence. This was one that, in a much different way than Parasite, was another theater experience that was, like, pretty memorable. I almost, like, don't want to watch it again because that, I it wouldn't be in theaters. Like, it, it's just the way to watch it is with that, like... I mean, the movie's called Silence, and, like, the way it opens with just black and, like, the sound of, like, the wilderness, like, the Japanese wilderness and stuff. That whole, like, the whole experience of that movie in the theater, to me, was very memorable and not necessarily like fun or I mean it was not fun obviously 
at all, but it was not like an enjoyable experience. It was like, it was really rough. I mean, the movie is, the movie is hard to watch at times, not just like violence or it's not actually that violent for a Scorsese movie, especially one that's about persecution. It just has some of the most like difficult questions that a movie I've seen has ever posed. It was, it was things that I, what I came away from the movie asking myself, what do I believe personally is the answer to these questions? And it was something that I wrestled with for days after I watched it. And I've never, I've never experienced that from a movie. It is the most religious movie I think I've ever seen. And I've seen straight up religious movies that are like, it, it, the whole point of it is to be Christian and religious and stuff. But this was like, it was actually meaningful and asked important questions and um, it was challenging, so... And we talk about people being persecuted and for their faith and and stuff, but that those types of situations that the characters find themselves in in this movie is so much more psychologically um, difficult than what you normally think of. You normally think of like you know uh, someone being in prison or something, and they're they're being beaten because they pray, and then they say, "If you stop, if you just stop praying." We'll stop beating you, or if we if you stop reading the Bible, or you stop telling people about God, we'll stop. And then it, it's just them; they can either refuse, you know, or give in. And that's like the two black and white things in their mind. And that's that's the way you're taught as a Christian. Like this is what persecution looks like. And but yeah, it presented like a whole other situation that I've never thought about. It felt like a very sincere movie. I mean, it was a very uh, respectful and sincere movie. It's not like Martin Scorsese made this and he was like, all right, Christians, what now? What, what's the answer? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, it's, it's coming from a lot of the same things that I think he has questioned in his own faith. He's been, you know, he tried to make, make the movie over 20 plus years adapted from the book. This is, uh, I haven't seen every one of Martin Scorsese's movies, but I've seen all the big ones. And this in my mind is his best film because of those questions it asks and it is it's a really faithful adaptation of the book too which we we both read after after we saw the movie and i think actually in a lot of ways uh, i know some people are kind of mixed on the very final shot of the film but to me that is the perfect end of the movie it does land on this is one person's experience is he saved or did he damn himself or you know i don't think that I don't think that God is, I don't know. It's even at right now, as I'm just talking about it, even though it's, I've seen saw it like three years ago and I've seen it multiple times and read the book and thought about it. It's still hard to like process thoughts around it. Which is why I like it so much. Like there's not I, like a movie should not every movie, but like a good movie gives you things to think about. And I've never had more to think about than after watching that movie. My number seven is Barry Jenkins' Moonlight. I think this is another movie where there are certain moments that are, I just can't like get out of my mind. More than anything with this movie, it's the feeling of the movie that has stuck with me the most is just this, a weight 
almost like I I don't know when I think about this movie I just think of like this weight it's a very poetic movie in the way that it repeats shots in the way that it goes throughout this one person's life and you see echoes of things from childhood into adulthood and who this person has turned into and who they maybe wish that they could be or could become but almost feel trapped by like the body that they've been given it's just it's a movie that every once in a while I'll put on and watch 30 minutes like I've probably watched the first 30 or 40 minutes four or five times not even the whole movie I've seen the whole movie a couple times all the way through but the music and the way it's shot and the way which I love if Beale Street can talk as well and that that's in my top 25 but I felt like Moonlight has stuck with me a lot more in the years since I've seen it which granted it's been out longer but I I kind of have a hard time talking about it because it it is which a lot of these are are like this for me but it's just a feeling I have when I think about it and when I when I rewatch it so my number 7 is Interstellar and it is Interstellar it's a stellar um, it's a stellar movie it's pretty stellar I think Inception came out in 2010 or 2011 10 and i kind of went back and forth whether or not it would be inception or this one i inception is amazing um and i love it but it's like probably the most nolan movie there is but interstellar i think is just a little bit more meaningful and more more poignant not that that's anything against Inception. Inception's not necessarily trying to be either of those things, but Interstellar is like, it's just so cool. And I, and I love how much they just went for it. I think the movie, I read the, the first draft of the script and it was going to be a whole different, like it was going to be directed by Steven Spielberg. It, it took the idea, the Interstellar like way more literally, like it was mostly about like traversing the galaxy and like they go to way more planets and they're trying to find life basically it was much more of like an adventure like sci-fi movie whereas interstellar is more much more like slow and it's just more atmospheric and stuff kind of philosophical i very very much which i know a lot of people complain about the love theme like how much that's but I don't know I I found it pretty powerful yeah I mean it's it it is like it is pretty on the nose about some things but like there's there's the scene uh which I looked up recently because I just I was reminded of this the poem that Michael Caine reads the scene where he reads that out of context is like okay what is this pretentious movie but yeah there's stuff like that in it that it seems a little bit much sometimes if you think about it too hard, but I just, like I said, I like that they just went for it and they, it's, it feels like it does have a lot of heart and like there's, there was a lot of heart that went into making it. Matthew McConaughey Skyping and bawling his eyes out like that is all like something that you make memes out of, but, it, but it's because it's so, it is effective in the movie. Like it, it's really well done. So it's, it's probably, just thinking about um, Christopher Nolan's films, it's probably his most emotional. A lot of his other ones are very cool and very... I mean, Dunkirk is pretty emotional at the end, but in a different way. I don't know. It's it just... The, the Interstellar wears its heart like out in the open without like trying to hide it under anything. I mean, it's still like a really cool movie. 
Yeah, it is. And that that's cool. That's a cool thing about it is it does have those breathtaking sequences that Nolan is so good at, but it it does it with this like it has this foundation of like emotion and heart that a lot of his movies don't really have. I watched it in IMAX the first time I saw it and it was it was insane. I I I've never watched um, I've never had that experience of looking at something and thinking, I have never seen anything like this before. I've never, I've never seen a visual like this. Like this is just, he created something completely new, which is how many movies do you watch where you can say, I have never seen an image like this. That's just so, it's insane. Again, I feel like it's kind of cheesy and you could, you could make fun of it. You could poke a lot of holes in the plot and st- which I think people have, YouTube videos breaking down why everything that's wrong with it. Everything wrong with Interstellar. In yeah, minutes. <laughs> but it's just I think I just think it's it's really good. So it had to it had to go on there. So my number five, Joe's number six, is La La Land. This is it's very confusing. I don't think my rankings really make sense because La La Land is my number two favorite movie of all time but I feel like of the decade it's lower because the other movies I have above it I don't know I'll get to that but to me La La Land was just a burst of goodness good feelings well maybe until the end but mostly yeah mostly good (laughs) good feelings and spoilers like a perfect blend of Mixing and matching something like The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which I know he was inspired by, or Singing in the Rain, that's basically not very grounded in anything emotional or... Well, okay, let me take that back. Umbrellas of Cherbourg is very emotional, but it still is more fantastical and almost feels like a a dream, or it's, it's it's not very... A lot of it isn't super grounded, especially singing in the rain. But this did a really great job of blending. Like you, could, there are almost two movies in it. One is a old school Hollywood musical, and one is just a indie relationship drama. So you kind of take those two things and mix them together, and that's kind of what La La Land ended up being. Some, I'm just a sucker for music in movies, especially musicals when i saw this movie i mean it was my favorite movie of all time for quite some time and it still is one of my favorite movies of all time just because i i don't get the feeling that i feel when i watch it from watching many movies uh ryan gosling and emma stone both two of my favorite actors before this movie (laughs) to have them both in there um with such amazing music and shot and edited so well and the last 15 minutes are probably like the best ending of any movie ever that I've ever seen I the first time I watched it my heart was racing and even the second time I went and saw it with a couple with my family who hadn't seen it and my heart was racing again just excited that they got to experience that ending as well like it's just one of those endings that you just can't wait for other people to see I love Damien Chazelle and I mean Whiplash or First Man easily could have been in my top 10 as well because those are both masterpieces as also so this list I could not have made this list without putting La La Land on yeah. like it's just such a good movie I love the way it's shot like it has like you said it has that indie vibe especially the story um and and the way it's shot to some degree but also it has that the dance sequence with the sunset that feels like a a soundstage. It feels like singing in the rain or, or uh, 
something like that, like a classic musical. But then it it brings such a modern like sensibility to the story that it's it is kind of, it's like a juxtaposition of like that classic musical that is usually not grounded and not very very you never get that emotionally story wise yeah. yeah and then this is like very emotionally compelling and uh but it still has that like classic vibe to it um but it's just done in a very modern way which i love so my number four is next it looks like star wars the last jedi wow all right we just lost half of our listeners <laughs> bunch of people just clicked off three people just stopped listening <laughs> of the five yeah i'm a sucker for star wars so i just i i'm a big big nerd i grew up on star wars and liked the prequels but less as they came out and i got older <laughs> and then much less as i got older <laughs> and got some years in between me and the release dates Force Awakens definitely was like a breath of fresh air for me after so long of no Star Wars and nothing but the prequels uh, in between. But then The Last Jedi was like all of that, like that the the Force Awakens kind of recentered everybody onto like what this is what Star Wars is all about. And then The Last Jedi took that and it was like, this is what Star Wars can be. And that like that idea, like the prequels never even got close to like that idea of like this is what modern star wars is like it it basically took it in a different direction it didn't take it in like better directions it just went it took it in a much more like uh let's talk about trade routes and (laughs) taxation and payroll um then the last jedi was like let's like break the rules a little bit it felt so modern and so unique and interesting and exciting and just surprise surprising like all those feelings like that I got like I was saying with uh um Parasite like it was almost like that experience of just like being surprised around every corner and it took so much of the original trilogy's uh ideas of the force and pushed it in directions that I thought were super interesting and the idea of the Jedi and it kind of like took a closer look at like the concept of the Jedi and if that's if it's a worthy uh thing to keep around and I mean I walked out of the theater like questioning whether or not uh Empire Strikes Back was still my favorite Star Wars movie I mean that it and it and it still is but like the last Jedi is like right up there just below Empire. I mean it's it's just so good. It just felt like there was an actual filmmaker behind it, which I don't I honestly and I, I like all the original films and the prequels. Oh sorry. Do not like the prequels really that much. But I love all the original films. But even the original films doesn't feel like there is maybe episode five the most, but like there's a real filmmaker behind it. It I don't know. I I don't get that sense when I watch them, but you get that sense that there was an actual vision and creative cinematography and editing ideas behind the characters and the story. Like that, I mean, that is probably not why most people would go see a Star Wars movie, but to me, it was just so exciting to see. The The first time that I knew that there was something special about The Last Jedi was at the very beginning when the girl who's running the bomber ship 
um, falls and it cuts to black and then it, she wakes up and it's that shot. I think it pans over, over top of her and rests on her line. I was, I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, I don't know, even something that simple of a planned out shot that just looks really nice, just felt different. Like, I don't think there was ever anything like that, even in force awakens as good as that movie is. So I don't know. Like it just was refreshing to me. Um, my number four is also from 2017, which the last Jedi was, and it is the Florida Project. Um, Very similar movie. It is a lot of the same themes. Yeah, same actors, right? Willem Dafoe plays one of the alien creatures on. Yeah. <laughs> Canto bite. He's a random stormtrooper that doesn't have. Any yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the Florida Project. Right when I saw it, I knew that I loved it, and it was. It was one of my favorite movies of that year. It was either my number two or number three of 2017. It was very high up there. The thing that I love the most about The Florida Project is that it shows without any condescension or judgment a group of people that I had never thought about or knew existed. People who aren't literally living on the streets but are living sometimes week to week, month to month in hotel rooms. That is an interesting enough concept, but then you get, you know, the the characters that you have, which you have Mooney, the little girl, and her mom, and then Willem Dafoe's character, which is probably, like, the best character, besides Cliff Booth, from any, <laughs> from any movie in the 2010s. Like, his character as the hotel manager is just so good, and he he's kind of a complicated character, too, in that you get why he's doing the things he's doing, but then you wonder if he's not helping in certain ways by doing the things he's doing. I don't know. It's kind of complicated because I don't, it's another movie that I don't think there's any right answers where you can say, well, you shouldn't help them out or otherwise they'll never learn their lesson or, you know, you should help them out all the time, but then it's not, it's not a black and white movie. And the fact that it's told mostly through the eyes of Mooney, the girl and the other kids that are with her, I think is really interesting because in a way she doesn't get it. I mean, that's just her life. And the ending, which I'm just going to spoil when she's being taken away from her mom, um, and she just kind of runs and she runs to her friend's house and just starts breaking down crying to her. And then her friend just grabs her hand and it cuts to iPhone footage running all the way to Disney World and they run inside and it's at that moment it's like oh all of us who have houses are are like our Disney World the fact that we can go to a vacation in Disney World and we drive right past these motels and think like ugh, I would hate to stay there yeah um, like we are Disney World and that's just a dream like you know yeah. clearly that's not real that they just ran into Disney World that's right. something that they could only imagine. And, you know, more than likely Mooney is going to be taken away from her mom and her mom's going to go to jail, whatever. So I don't know. It's just that ending, which I know a lot of people <laughs> really do not like. <laughs> yeah. At least a couple of our friends, I watched it with them and they almost hated the movie because of that <laughs> ending. <laughs> um, and they still can't talk about it. Yeah. Because it's just, they can't deal with it. But I think it's just perfect. And the fact that, you know, you can't even film inside of Disney World, so they had to use an iPhone and sneak it in. Like, it's just perfect. It's It just summarizes that movie so perfectly. Yeah. And so that's why I think it's in my top ten. And it, it is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's it's amazing. 
Number three, Moneyball. I feel like this is probably not on a lot of people's no, top ten. this is a very list. unique choice. <laughs> yeah. From the first time I saw this movie, I mean, I didn't know it was going to be that good. I just... I was like, oh, a baseball movie with Brad Pitt. Okay. Yeah, on the on pan on paper and pen, that sounds very boring. Yeah, it's what and then it's and then you take it a step further with what the movie is actually about. About a guy who builds a team based on numbers and mathematics. But no, it's I just love that movie. I don't know why. Something about the the way it's shot probably has a lot to do with it. Um Wally Fister it was one of his last uh cinematography projects unfortunately um but it's he just directed a uh, transcendence though that's true we did get that and the taco bell commercial which is um, <laughs> so thanks wally we love you wally we we love you we know we you're great. listening yeah big fan um please don't be offended we love you uh anyway uh but yeah it's beautifully shot which is weird for the type of movie it is. It's just a very normal movie, but it's shot very much like a documentary in a lot of ways. Um, and I feel like some of the scenes were probably directed like as if it was a documentary, like if, if these guys were just in a room chatting and the, the casting, like this, the actors, the, the people in this movie feel like real people in a way that you don't really get with a lot of movies. I feel like, especially with just, like, random side characters. They just feel real. And, I mean, the story is interesting enough to, you know, to keep watching. And it, the way it's edited, the way he uses uh, computer screens and footage of actual baseball games and, and mu- the music, the way the music drives everything, it's just, it's such a, like, taut movie. And, um... Yeah, I just I don't know. I've I've seen it like probably five times and just I just love it. That has another like perfect final shot. It's uh, the last shot is so good. I I love that this is so high on your list. Like I've never I don't I haven't seen anyone so far that's put it this high or even been in like the top 25 or 50. Yeah. I I don't know. It's just it it just works really well for me. Yeah. So, my number 3 is Spike Jones's Her. Her is in my top five films of all time. Um, and it is a movie that, from the first time I saw it, I haven't been so emotionally affected, I think, by a film like I am with Her. It's one of the most emotional, emotionally vulnerable movies I think I've ever seen. Um, and a lot of that has to do with Joaquin Phoenix's performance. The movie leans into close-ups a lot, especially of his face. Like I, when I think about this movie, I think a lot about just Joaquin Phoenix's face and like the way that also this movie is shot is just amazing. I don't, I, I, I can't think of many movies that pulls off the look of this movie. It's very soft and like very, I don't know. It, it's I just love how it looks and the use of natural light in a lot of scenes and like dusk, dusk and dawn. And then the fact that I got so emotionally captivated by, you know, a relationship with a voice. And I mean, that has a lot, again, a lot to do with Scarlett Johansson's performance as the voice of the AI. I think the themes of, especially in modern day society, that, you know, what does connection look like? And 
I mean, I, I think I've said this about a lot of movies, but it has another what I would call like a perfect final moment of him and Amy Adams' character just going up to the roof together after all the AI have left. Spoilers. And they just sit down together and look over the city and it's it is and it's dawn, so it's literally a new day is arising and it's it's all it almost in a way just feels like a breakup. It's a lot more than that because clearly he's dealing with the ramifications of getting back to human, like human touch, human interaction and not just being so insulated but in ways the movie it makes it feel like he just got broken up with and he's he's I don't know and he's moving on so it's it's a really interesting balance of those themes and it's not too heavy-handed with any of them and I love the editing a lot of like really quick cuts for memory which I feel like is cheesy in some movies but it just is so perfect in this movie especially flashbacks to him and his ex-wife I just want Spike Jones to make another movie. <laughs> Joe, what's your number two? So number I already I already gave my two. number two, which was silence earlier. So Joe, what is your number two? Glenn already dropped his I already... <laughs> So my number two movie is Arrival. Arrival was another one I, I, I saw it in theaters and it just blew me away. And I, I was like, I want other people to see this movie. The way the story plays out is really interesting. You see things that are presented as flashbacks. And, mm, yeah, the editing um, is so good. It's it's so well done, and and it's very surprising. And it it left me like with a lot to like process and try to like understand. Well, and I mean, and I think it's just a really interesting look at like another completely alien civilization or race or whatever like that just the idea of like the way they communicate is completely different and and it's not just they speak in a different language that could just be translated into english or english could be trans like i don't know it's just much more complex than that and um i just think it's really interesting like one of my favorite books is speaker for the dead which is the second book in the series of ender's game and it's all about humanity making contact with another uh with an alien race and trying to under trying to even approach the idea of communicating it's just really interesting in that book and that i guess that's something that i find very interesting because it's a big part of arrival too the idea of figuring out how to communicate with a race of creatures or whatever that you're not even starting with like alphabet or anything it's so foreign and the the like spiral like circle things and all that. It's just, I don't know. It's really cool. Um, but, but I mean, the emotion, the emotional aspect of it kind of with like with interstellar is also like the, the thing that makes me love it so much, just the, her daughter and everything. But then as it reveals like what that all was, it's just so, it's so good. I still get like chills when I think about the part at the end, one with the song that's going and it cuts to Jeremy Renner's character. Now, you know, it's a flash forward, right after you know she gets off the ship and he asks do you want to make a baby and you just kind of watch the look on her face as she knows what that's going to mean and she still says yes i mean that whole idea of still saying yes because the years that she gets with her are worth it is so like powerful it is yeah it gives you chills so we're down to the number one my top 10 of of the tens is Mm -hmm. Uh, Phantom Thread, number 10, Parasite, Silence, Interstellar, 
La La Land, A Ghost Story, Star Wars The Last Jedi, Moneyball, and Arrival. And then we'll get to number one. And my ten are Inside Loon Davis, A Ghost Story, The Lobster, Moonlight, Phantom Thread, La La Land, The Florida Project, Her, Silence, and our joint number one. We've had the same film. The Tree, tree of Life. Of life. <laughs> Terrence Malick's Tree of Life, 2011, right at the start of the decade. I mean, I don't even know. I I was trying to talk about The Tree of Life with some of my family the other day, and I'd still, I still, it's still a movie that I can't really. You can't explain. No, it. it's I. I would I would say it's probably the most personal film I've ever watched. In that there's so much of my own experience that I see in the film. I don't think there's any film that's like that for me. Where I see so much of my own feelings and thoughts on screen in such a powerful way. And to me, it's also... It is like... I know we said Silence is... Or you said Silence is the most religious film. But Tree of Life, I think, is the most spiritual film. Um, I don't know if you made that distinction on purpose or not. But I would say that, that that's how I would think about it is... Tree of Life is just a prayer the whole time and the visuals and the use of classical music to me it's just like it's it's probably I mean it is the greatest film ever made and I don't know how another film could be better than it. Yeah, I mean it's another it's another one that transcends the medium. There isn't another movie like that. I don't that I that I know of. I mean just the way he uses visuals and sound and words and music to to create these like universal feelings and memories of childhood and everything just like relationship life. with the parents yeah yeah yep it is and and the way that he's a, he tells a very um small story about a family through the lens of like the entire like yeah. creation of the universe it should not work <laughs> it shouldn't like there's that sounds so insane yeah. like if you if you if somebody was like describing that to me and saying i should watch it i would think they were that it was a terrible movie or just very pretentious or but it's and i mean i'm sure people would say it is but i don't I don't think it is. I think it's, it's like you said, it's a very spiritual movie. And I think, you know, if the whole movie was about the cosmos and creation and stuff like that, it, it wouldn't have the emotional impact that it has. And if it didn't have that perspective, it also, if it only focused on the family, it would also be a different movie. It's just all of that works together so well. And even the structure of it, you know, starting with the family starting in a very specific town in Texas, you know, starting there. And then, you know, I think the question is posed like, when did I first know you? Or like, how did I first? And then we zoom out to the creation of the whole world. Like all the thousands of years leading up to this person being born and having their own spiritual crisis. It doesn't, again, it doesn't sound like it should work, but it just does. And again, it's not something that you can, like I've tried to explain it, I've tried to describe the movie to people before and it's just, it's impossible. It's like, you really just have to watch it yeah. and experience it. Yeah. And you have to be open to it too. You can't, there's so much in it that 
a lot of people would get frustrated with and and just give up. So yeah, you really have to like you have to let it be what it is yeah. and just not question every frame of the movie because it's all building to something bigger. And there there's stuff in it that I, at first glance is like what is this? What like what is like the shot then, of the shot of birth and it's Yeah, that's what exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Of. A child it's, swimming in a house and he the door opens and he kind of swims towards the light. It's so abstract but it you get it. I don't know. Yeah, it it works. And the to be honest, the first time a lot of that stuff went over my head. Yeah, I same. was like, I don't know what this is. Like it's just a bunch of stuff. But yeah, it it definitely is one that if you're going to commit and watch it, you kind of have to watch it more than once to really understand everything. But but yeah, it's just it's beautiful in every way. Well, that's the thing is it's like it's it was almost too easy to put this as my number 1 of the decade because i think it is the best of what i've seen the best film ever made like i i just don't i can't see another film touching it i don't know well there you go that is our top 10 of the tens there they are there they are thanks for listening yeah thanks for listening and you can find me on letterbox at glenn johnson and i am joe frank 87 we'll see you in 10 years for the best of the 20s (laughs) (laughs) Bye.